If you have a Bible, go please to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15. I spoke on Wednesday night about the experience of Elijah in Mount Oreb. I'm going to mention that just briefly this morning as we go to our uh, text this morning. We have been talking about faith. And the Lord told us a few weeks ago that we are living in a miracle season. How many of you are expecting that? How many of you have received that? So I want to discuss that with you a little bit more this morning uh, out of 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 15. The scripture says, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram, which is Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimsi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask you to anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God this morning. And I ask you to anoint this congregation that as they hear the word, they might receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to begin this morning talking about anointed to finish. Can you say that with me? I am anointed to finish. There is a work that God has called the church to do in this generation. And there is a responsibility that God has called the church in general to do in the preaching of the gospel. And he's called Kingsway Church in a particular way in this community uh, to fulfill his purpose and plan. And so he has called us, invited us in these last few weeks to prepare our hearts and to believe him for a miracle season, to believe him for a time of change, a time of transformation. And I want to read to you what Psalm 102, verse 13 says. It says, God will arise and have compassion on Zion, that's the church, for it is a time of grace to her. An appointed time has come from the Lord. I believe we're living in an appointed time, a set time. You know, God has times. God has seasons. He made the world, and he said that in the world there would be seed time and harvest. These are irrevocable facts. And in the spiritual life of man, God has certain times. In the life of a nation. And in the life of the world, God has times and seasons when he wishes to do a particular work. You can't get ahead of God's time, and you can't get behind on God's time. Uh, what I have discovered is that when God decides to do something, if you're ready, you're ready. And if you're not ready, you better get ready, because he's going to do it. He doesn't wait around to see if men are ready. The Bible tells us God told Moses, now I will send you to Pharaoh. It was God's time. And he went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, no way, Jose. I'm not going to do what God wants. I'm not going to let the people go. And uh, ten plagues later, Pharaoh did exactly what God told him to do, and the people left Egypt uh, blessed and uh, with the spoils of Egypt because it was God's time. It was God's season for their deliverance. We see it again in the book of Daniel. God said, 
uh, or revealed to Daniel that he was going to bring the people out of the exile according to his written word. And that time came, and whether the, uh, the kings were on the program or not, God moved those men to do the will of God. And pagan kings released the people of Israel to return to the promised land and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then we have the greatest of them all. God set a time for the birth of his son. And when Herod turned about it, he tried to, heard about it, he tried to stop the birth of Jesus. But he could not stop the birth of the Messiah because it was God's time. What am I telling you, church? I'm telling you we are living in a day of God's favor. We are living in a day of God's grace, a day when God has decided to do something in you, through you, and through this church. And, and God is inviting us to get uh, beside him and to do this work with him. Elijah was the prophet of fire. He was the man so powerfully used by God. That in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, we see him as he says these words. He says, it will not rain, nor will there be dew on the earth until I give the word. And just as Elijah said, it did not rain and there was no dew on the earth for three and a half years until he gave the word. Then we see him uh, in the 18th chapter of 1 Kings. And he calls fire down from heaven in the face of the false prophets of Baal. And he proves to Israel that there was only one God in Israel. And it wasn't Baal. It wasn't the pagan deities. It was the Lord God of the armies of Israel. It was Yahweh himself who sent fire upon the altar. And then we see at the last part of that chapter that he takes the 400 false prophets of Baal. And he decapitates them in an act of justice for having led the people astray against the people of God, uh, against the word of God. And so he was a man of power. He was a man of extraordinary use. But then he received a message from Jezebel. The queen said to him, Elijah, what you did to my prophets, I'm going to do to you. I'm going to make sure that you uh, have the same kind of death that they had. And for whatever reason, this great prophet, this man of power and fire, quivered under the weight of that word, and he ran for his life. He ran to Mount Oreb. He ran to the place which God had met, uh, where God had met with Moses in a burning bush. He ran to that place where God had written the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone with his own finger. He ran to that place where God had appeared in thunder and lightning and fire to the nation of Israel. Can I tell you, friends, if you ever get discouraged, if you ever get a word from a Jezebel in your life that wants to kill and destroy your life and your purpose, can I tell you, there's only one place to run. Run to the house of God. Run to the mountain of God. Run to the burning bush. Come on, somebody. Run to the mountain where God is moving, where God is present, because it's only in the presence of God that we can find the strength that we need and relief from the trouble that we face. What Elijah didn't know was that he had walked into one of God's seasons. He had walked into a time in which God was about to do a new work. A work that would, uh, that would transcend the life of Elijah. Elijah on Mount Oreb says to God, God, I want to die. I'm done. I'm finished. I don't have strength anymore. I don't have power anymore. I don't have the ability that I need 
anymore. And God does not accept Elijah's resignation except we read in chapter 19 and verse 15 that the Lord said to him, go and return to the way of Damascus. Don't you just hate it when God completely ignores all of your pleas and all of your excuses and says, you know what, Elijah, I don't care what your excuses are. I have work for you to do. I have a job for you to finish. And he gives Elijah an assignment. He says, there are three men I want you to anoint. These three men were going to be used by God. They were going to be God's instruments for bringing about uh, the, the ridding of Israel's paganism. They were going to be instruments by which God would bring Israel to account. And Elijah didn't realize it, but his ministry was about to change. Something, something was about to shift in his life and in his ministry. For you see, up until that point, his ministry had been miracles of power. Everything he did was for that moment, for that time, and for that season. But God brought Elijah into a new season. And in that new season, he was going to do things that would not only affect today, but they were going to affect generations to come. Can I tell you, friends, that that same anointing is upon our lives today. God has put a call on this church, not just to do something for this generation, but to do something that will touch the generations to come, that will do something that will have an impact on the world and the, and the generations that are yet to come. Elijah was told by God, you're going to go and you're going to anoint Hazael king over Syria. And then you're going to go and anoint Jehu as king over Israel. And then you will go and you will anoint Elisha in your place. These three men would be God's instruments for tearing down those institutions that had defiled the land of God and God's people. They would be instruments of God's wrath and God's vengeance. They would be instruments by which God would establish his purpose on the earth. The Bible says in Isaiah 34 and verse 8, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. What does that mean? That means that God has a time at which he settles the score. God has a time at which he says to a people or to a nation, Enough is enough. It's time to get right. It's time to serve me. It's time to look to me. I believe that America is at that critical place where God is calling her back to himself, back to the Bible, back to prayer, back to the fear of God, and he's calling the church first. He's calling the church to come to him and to acknowledge that it is a day of recompense, a day in which God wants to call his people to account. He says to Elijah, you're going to go and anoint these three men. Now these three men would have a ministry that went beyond the ministry of Elijah. Elijah's ministry will end by the second chapter of, first, of Second Kings. But the ministry of these men and the work of these men would go on many more chapters, many more years into the years to come. Now I want you to understand what their work was. First of all, Hazael. This king and, and Hazael and, and, uh, and Jehu were both Men who were not part of the covenant of Israel, and they were not godly men. But they're men that God chose to use. Because you see, God is never in, in, uh, limited in the instrument of his choice. And he takes these two men and he makes them kings. They weren't kings. 
but he made them kings. Because you see, when the anointing of God comes upon your life, God will make you something that you are not. God will give you power that you don't have within yourself. And these two men were made something that they were not. Hazael came in order to destroy the, the paganism in Judah. And the Bible says that he had a small army. He had a small force of men. And yet when he came to do the work of God, he had enough strength to destroy and to, to obliterate the kingdoms that had been established in Israel on paganism. In 2 Chronicles 24, verse 25, we read that there was a small number of men, yet the Lord delivered into their hands a very great army. You see, the anointing that came upon Hazael made a man who had little resources do incredible things. Can I tell you that this is God's word to us this morning. He's going to take the small and the little resources that you have, but he's going to magnify them and make them mighty, make them great, and make them something useful in his hands. God is able to save by many or by few. Somebody ought to get excited about that this morning. Because you've been looking at your need and you've been looking at your circumstances and what you need and what you have don't seem to add up. But when God decides to do something in your life, what you need will be enough to accomplish what you need in your life. What you have will be enough to do the work and the will of God. Then we see Jehu. Jehu was a man that God raised up to specifically take down the spirit of Jezebel that had taken root over the nation of Israel. The spirit of Jezebel is a spirit that uh, is a spirit of manipulation and that undermines authority. And the spirit of Jezebel is a territorial spirit. It means that it comes into a, a nation or it comes into a, a community or into a church even or into a family. And it is, it is a spirit that controls the life of all the people under its influence. And this Jezebel spirit had come into Israel. She was the queen of Israel. She had no authority in herself. But she was given authority by the, by the passive king Ahab. You realize, friends, that when the church is passive, when uh, the man in the home is passive, when the pastor in the church is passive, these territorial spirits come in to try to take hold of what God has ordained and what God has established. You can't afford to be passive. You can't afford to be passive, sir, in your home. And ma'am, you can't afford to be passive in your prayer life because there's always a spirit around trying to take the place that you leave vacant and void. Today, God is calling us to take our place, to say we're not going to be passive in prayer. We're not going to be passive in the word. We're not going to be passive in witness because there is a job for us to do. And there is a task on our hands. Yet Ahab was a passive king. And he allowed Jezebel to come in and to rule over him. And this, this woman took such control over the nation of Israel that she even scared to death the prophet Elijah. This is not the only spirit that comes around from time to time. But it is one of the spirits that seeks to, to devour the work of God in the church. Another spirit that comes around is the Leviathan spirit. This is what the Bible calls a crooked spirit. This spirit comes and it takes the truth, but it twists it and makes it into a lie. 
This was the same spirit that appeared in Eden and that brought confusion into the mind of Eve. Then the Bible talks about in the book of Acts, the python spirit. This spirit masquerades as the Holy Spirit. It, it has a false discernment. But it's not discernment led by the Spirit of God. Rather, it's discernment led by the mind and the will of man. And this python spirit chokes out the word and the work of God in any place where it is allowed to reign. But God had anointed Jehu, and God has anointed you. And what did God anoint Jehu to do? He anointed him to bring down those spirits in Israel and to set at liberty those who had been under their control. What am I telling you today? I'm telling you that God has anointed you over Jezebel, over Python, over Leviathan, and over every demonic power that would seek to come against the church of the living God. The Bible tells us, that Jehu came into power. And these were the things we see in his ministry. First of all, we see discernment. The Bible says that he came. He came to the household of Ahab. And, and the queen started speaking kindly to him. And he started to, she started to speak sweetly to him. And she painted her face. That means she put on makeup. She tried, to, she tried to seduce him. She tried to talk him out of what was on his mind. But can I tell you, friends, he had already decided what he was going to do with that spirit. And he, ca he cast out that spirit with such authority and such power because he had discernment. He said, you are a witch. And he called her out by her very name. He didn't go, he didn't go to anything less than the spirit that was behind that woman. The Bible said that when he saw her, she was up on a window. And he saw, he, he shouted out, he said, who is on my side? Who has the same anointing that I've got? And when two men stepped up, he said to them, throw her down. And they threw Jezebel down out of the window of that castle, that palace. And that was the end of that spirit and the end of its control in Israel. Today, I declare to you prophetically that God has put a Jehu anointing upon this house. And he has called you to tear down those powers of darkness that have raised himself up against your family. I want you to go home today and I want you to tell the devil I cast you down in the name of Jesus. You have no authority over my marriage, no authority over my children, no authority over my finances. Come on, somebody. You are not a weakling. You are a child of the living God and the anointing of the Spirit of God which brings deliverance and breaks the yoke is upon your life. And then there was another man, these first two were kings. And in this sense, they represent Christ's redemptive work as a king. The Bible says that the day is coming when Christ will come in righteousness and he will rule the world with a rod of iron. And the day is coming, friend, when he that anointed us is going to come himself. And he's going to root out every pagan system, every spirit of darkness, every power of the devil. And he's going to set up a kingdom for a thousand years on the earth in which he will rule and reign with power and unquestionable authority. Can you help me and just give Jesus praise? He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. But there's another man that comes, and he is anointed. His name is Elisha. And Elisha was called by God to be a prophet. He was going to take the place of Elijah. I want you to notice quickly the, the character of this man. He was plowing a field behind 
12 yoke of oxen. I don't know if you've ever been behind an ox, but you just get a, an imagination about what that might be like. He probably said to himself, I hate this job. This job stinks. He was at the back end of a whole lot of trouble. He was a 12th man in a 12-man in a team. And probably he might have said to himself, I don't have any use to God. Look where he's got me. Look what he's doing in my life. What Elisha didn't know was that he was in a holding pattern. If you've ever been in an airplane that arrives too early to its city or its destination, you'll notice that you start, if you look out the window, you start seeing the same stuff over and over again. You say, are we going in a circle? Actually, you're going in a rectangle. They call that a holding pattern. The airplanes fly in that same pattern until they're given clearance to land. Elisha was in that holding pattern. He was going around that circle over and over again. Maybe he thought, what happened? I thought God called me. I, I thought there was more for my life. And yet he didn't realize that he was exactly positioned for what God wanted to do in his life. Can I tell you, friend, just stay in position. Wherever it is that God has called you and anointed you to do, don't let anybody or anything talk you out of it. But the other thing he didn't know was that while he was plowing that field, while he was working, God was talking to Elijah about him. God was talking to somebody else about what he was going to do in Elisha's life. You don't know this morning who's talking about you. There might be some people talking bad about you, but I guarantee God's whispering your name in somebody's ear, and they're talking good about you, and they're, they're making plans for you. There's somebody in here, your boss is planning to promote you. Somebody in here, somebody is planning to take you to the next level. Come on, somebody. He's talking to a, an admissions department about bringing you into the university. You have been chosen and appointed by God. And when he, when he wants you in a particular place, he won't have any trouble to put you there and to open the doors for you. And Elisha was just doing his job, plowing this field. And here comes Elijah. The Bible said that Elijah took his mantle. And, you know, you get the, the sense, uh, and, and as I read for the other scholars on this subject, you get the sense that Elijah was not happy about this. He was ready to die. He was ready to call it quits. And God said, you're not done. I have work for you to do. He's got a bad attitude about it. And Elisha there is plowing the field. And here comes a grumpy prophet Elijah. And he doesn't make any kind of ceremony. He doesn't say, hey, hey thus hath the Lord. He doesn't twitch or, or, or do anything like that, you know, the Pentecostal stuff. He just comes by him and just throws his mantle on him and keeps on going. He just, he just dropped his calling on that man. And Elisha, uh, when he senses that something has changed in his life, he comes and he begins to follow Elijah. But now he has a mantle. He has an anointing. And friends, if you thought Elijah was powerful, you have to read about Elisha. Because everything Elijah did, Elisha did twice as many times. Because he had received a double portion anointing from the Almighty God. And here is the word I want to bring to you this morning as uh, as we think about this season that God has brought us into, he said to Elijah on Mount Oreb, whatever Hazael does not do, 
Jehu will do. And whatever Jehu does not do, Elisha will finish. What does that mean? That means that God is about to get some things finished. God is about to wrap up some seasons that have taken a long time in your life. And listen, friends, this is what God is saying to Kingsway Church this morning. Whatever your pastor does not do, your elders will do. And whatever the elders do not do, the deacons are going to do. And whatever the women's ministry does not do, come on, somebody the men's ministry will do and whatever the men's ministry doesn't do the youth ministry will do and whatever the youth don't do God will raise up a child to do come on somebody God is going to get it done God is going to get it done I said God is going to get it done as an anointing to finish the work whatever Elisha whatever Jehu does not do Elisha will finish Elisha had a ministry that was unlike these other kings. Yet all three of them had the same weapon. They all had a sword. The two men had a physical sword. It was the sword of God's judgment. The sword of God's wrath. But Elisha had the sword of God's word. And when that anointing came upon Elijah, after he, after, on Elisha, after he saw Elijah carried up into heaven, the anointing came upon Elijah. And the, the next thing you see is that the Bible says, And Elisha said. And then he went a little further. And, and Elisha said. And then he walked a little further. And Elisha said. And you start to see that now the man of God had the word of God in his mouth. And everything he spoke came to pass. Can I tell you, friends? That God has put his word in this church. God has put his word in the ministry of this church. God has put his word in the life of this church. And you have to open your mouth. I said you have to open your mouth and declare what God has spoken. Declare the word of the Lord. Isaiah 49 and verse 2. It says he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. And he has hidden me in his quiver. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I have that kind of power. Friend, when you go into battle this week, open your mouth. Not with your experiences, not with your own story, not with your own idea. Open your mouth with the word of the almighty God. Tell the world what thus saith the Lord. Because that is where the power is. That is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Have you not read what the Bible says? The Bible says that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to divide even between the soul and the spirit as between the joint and the marrow. God has given you a sword. It is the sword of the word of God. Do you want to see this miracle season manifested in your life? I said, do you want to see this miracle season manifested in your life? Then you must believe the word of God. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you believe God? Do you believe what God is saying to our church? Not just our church, but many churches. God is stirring in, his heart, in the heart of his people. Now you have to decide, am I going to believe God or am I not going to believe God? Those are your options this morning. You either believe God or you won't believe God. Those who believe God will see God's glory. Because the Bible says, have I not told you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God. 
How many of you believe God? Now, if you believe God, there are two options for you. Number one, if you believe God, you say, I'll just sit on my front porch, Pastor, and I'll sip some lemonade and eat a brownie and just wait for miracles to come into my life. You're going to be sitting a long time. You're going to be waiting a long time. Because the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. God doesn't bring miracles to people in rocking chairs waiting for them to come. He wants you to get up. That's the option number two. You can either sit on your porch and wait, or you can get up and you can take authority in the name of Jesus. And you can start to walk by faith and activate your faith in the direction of what God has already spoken into your life. Listen, church, it's the middle of the year. At the beginning of this year, God spoke some things to us as a church. And he said that it was, it was going to be a year for you to walk by the Spirit. You have a, a decision to make. Am I going to walk by the Spirit? Because you see that business you want to open is only going to open by the Spirit. And that, that family that you want to raise is only going to be raised by the Spirit. You've got to get in the Spirit. That sermon you want to preach can only be preached by the Spirit. Come on, somebody. God is calling this church. He's calling the individual members of this church to a new level. To come up and say, God... I am done with going in circles. I want to see your glory. I want to see you finish what you have promised and what you have begun in my life. Friends, God has made this commitment to you and to me this morning. That if you and I will believe, if you and I will walk by faith, if you and I will pursue his plan and purpose for us, that we will not be alone, but that we will have the help of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit, which enables us. Listen, there are some Jezebel spirits you have to cast down. There are some things trying to control your life. There are some voices trying to control your life. You've got to cast them down. And I encourage you to cast them down this morning in the name of Jesus. There are some crooked spirits trying to distort the truth of God in your life. Some of you spend half the night overthinking one or two words that somebody spoke to you. It's time to cast out that crooked spirit and get it out of your life. Get it out of your mind. Get it out of your house. Some of you are being squeezed out by, Leviath, by, by the python spirit. He's taken your joy. He's taken your strength. He's taken your hope. He's caused you to think there's nothing left. And I tell you in the name of Jesus, that spirit has to release every, every part of you this morning. Because you are a child of the living God. And that, that spirit that, that masquerades is the Holy Spirit. False discernment. False wisdom, human ideas comes down when you and I take our authority in the name of Jesus. And we invite the present work of the Holy Spirit into our life. This anointing, this anointing to finish is upon every single person in this house that will receive it by faith. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And I want every person in here that says, Pastor Isaac, I want that anointing on my life. I want you to come into this altar. And I want you to activate your faith this morning. Every single person that says, I want that anointing in my life. Come on, what are you waiting for? This is God's call. This is God's moment for you. It's time to tear down some strongholds. It's time to tear down some walls. You've been walking in circles. You've been stuck in a rut. You've been wondering what's going on. 
This is your day. Your day for deliverance. You don't need Elijah. You have the Holy Spirit. And he is mightier than every power of darkness assailed against you. Your family does not have to be divided. Your finances do not have to be in trouble. But you have to fight back in the power of the Spirit. Almighty God, this morning, I receive by faith the anointing that you have promised the believer. That anointing to finish. That anointing to do the impossible work. We receive by faith the Word of God spoken. The Word of God which quickens, which brings life, which brings resurrection. We speak now in the name of Jesus. And we receive by faith that anointing that destroys the power of Jezebel and the power of Python and the power of Leviathan and every demonic spirit raised up against the children of God. I come against every spirit that seeks to divide, that seeks to bring discord into the family of God, into every home, into every marriage. We declare liberty in Jesus' name.